Did you know that God made everything in creation without man's help? Isn't that amazing? Six days he created all that stuff without man there to help him. So God rested on the seventh day. Man rested on his first day. You ever think about that? First thing you learn to do if you want to live in a healthy identity is rest in what God's already done. Discover who you are before you start worrying about what you're supposed to do. Amen? Uh, today I want to talk to you about grace. And uh, I feel like we're in a season where God's teaching us grace at a new level. I would define grace this way. It's a dimension that we enter into where we leave the limitations of a life restricted by religious and natural laws. A dimension that we enter into where we leave the limitations of a life restricted by religious and natural laws. We can't pay for, earn, or deserve grace. It was paid in full on the cross for us and can only be received through faith. We cannot bring our earthly identity into the realm of grace with us. That's something that we have to be willing to allow the Lord to transform us in, is in who we are. And this was so real to early believers that they often experienced the name change to go with their new identity. Like Saul becoming Paul. Like Cephas becoming Peter. Uh, we've got some friends here from India this morning. And uh, I've been to India, and I've met some people there whose name is different today from when it was before they knew the Lord. Because it's, it's I, the way I understand it, it's more of a common practice in India and in some eastern lands. When somebody goes, when somebody goes through conversion, that they literally uh, embrace a new name that goes with their new identity. Uh, we have to be converted to enter into the, this dimension of grace. And, and if you want to think about what it means to be converted, think about a conversion table. Like going from the standard system to the metric system. There's a conversion table where things, re, uh, because what relates over here has to go through a conversion before it relates over here in this realm. And so it is in the kingdom. We have to be converted. Something inside of us has to be recalibrated to begin to live out of new reality. And we've got to come as children to enter into this realm. And, you know, Jesus said, allow the little children to come to me because of such is the kingdom. If you don't come as a child, you can't enter in. So what do we need to learn from children? You know, I have a friend who's a missionary in South America, and he told me that they have discovered why children learn language easier than adults. You know, you've heard it said that kids pick up language so much easier than adults. He said it's not because 
they can learn easier than adults. It's because children have some attributes that makes it easier for them to learn. One of those is that learning is fun for them. When they stop having fun, they stop learning. Number two, they're not afraid to make mistakes. We're so self-conscious and we're so afraid to make mistakes that we're afraid to step out and to little kids, they don't care if they say the word wrong because they, there's something about a child that has a level of humility that we tend to lose as adults. So the first thing I think that we need to learn to be like children is to be teachable, to be open and hungry to learn. Do you like being around people who think they already know everything and there's nothing left for them to learn? I hope I'm never one of those. Now, I'm a little discerning about what I learn. I'm not just going to swallow everything that comes my way. But I'm, I'm always hungry to learn. And maybe that comes as a part of uh, growing up in a culture where I was limited in my education. You know, I was only allowed to go through eighth grades of education, but I grew up in a family that valued uh, continued learning. My, my dad was a school teacher when I was a kid growing up, and he was always reading and always learning and always writing. And, and so I grew up in an atmosphere that encouraged learning and, and didn't attach ongoing education necessarily with formal education. So I've always been hungry to learn more. And I think that's a kingdom attribute. That's something that children have, that adults need to, to reconnect with, is a hunger to learn, a hunger to grow, a hunger to experience new realms, a hunger for adventure. I hope I never lose my passion for adventure, because my life is an adventure. You know what? Your life is supposed to be an adventure. Fear will hold you back. Um, you know, there's so many things that can inhibit us from, from living the adventure that God's created us to live. And maybe an adventure for you is something completely different than it is for me. You know? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, I'm, I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. A few verses. Uh, says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. For you females, maybe you need to put off the old woman. Our old nature, our old persona, that old way that we thought and that we were motivated. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That, that word renewed kind of stands out to me. Uh, the, the Greek word literally means to renovate or to make young. 
to make young. Let your mind become young, open, eager to learn, ready to learn new things, ready to go new places, ready to learn a new language, because the language of grace is a new language. It's not according to the way... uh, Amanda probably gets a little irritated with, well, strike the maybe, with me sometimes, uh, because I'm very conscious of words. And to me, words are very powerful. And they're very specific. They mean specific things. And when I hear negativity coming out of somebody's mouth, I tend to challenge them. Saying, do you realize that you're prophesying your future with the words that come out of your mouth? You realize that you're going to be living in what you're saying. What you say is what you will have. Because words are very powerful. God spoke words that created the universe as we know it. Words are very powerful. That's why prophecy is such a powerful thing, because it, it, it's creative words that, we, that end up forming the life that we live. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be made young. Be made new. Uh, it's the only time that version of that word occurs in the New Testament, and it's very powerful. The, the New Living says it this way. It says it takes, there's a little different take on it, but it's actually uh, tying into the same thing. It says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so to be renewed uh, actually ties right in, in my mind, with Psalm 103, where it says that he renews our youth like the eagles. He takes what has become old and set and static and doesn't want to learn new things and doesn't want to entertain new ideas and he renews it so that it becomes young and able to learn and able to grow all over again in the new place. And that's what it means to have the Holy Spirit renew our minds. It's sad to me that in many, many times the Lord has to pass over the older generation to bring new ideas to a young generation because the old generation has lost their ability to learn new things. And that should never be in the kingdom. We should always be open to learn new concepts and, and new things to build on what God has already revealed. Amen? It's so important to pursue the Lord while you're young before your mind gets set and restricted. Before you're too old and get so set in your ways that it really takes a miracle for you to, uh, to actually be open to learn new things. Pursue God and let your mind get into not only a season of growth, but into a place where it can grow perpetually. Where your mind can constantly be being renewed. There were a few powerful leaders in the church in the last hundred years that continued to be used powerfully of God all the way through their lifetime. But many times, people were used of God powerfully for a season, and then they stopped, and, and something less than triumph actually caused them to be sidelined for the rest of their life. 
And, and we don't have to be that way. We can constantly be staying current with what the Holy Spirit is doing because things change and he does things uh, in a different way and, and there's a different emphasis in every generation. I'm not saying that he rejects what was done before, but we build on those foundations with revealed truth in every generation. The second attribute of kids that I think is important for us to learn from is their humility. They're, they're, they're hardwired, in a sense, to be yielded to a higher authority. So when we come into the kingdom, and you know, I don't, I don't brag about this, but it's just where I was. When I, when I came to Jesus, he was the first person that I ever surrendered my will to. I was, I was a pretty hard-headed kid. And, and when I came to the Lord, it, I, I came to such a rock-bottom crash that I surrendered to the one who brought me to that place. For the first time in my life that I ever really surrendered my will to anybody. And, and uh, brought me to a place of humility so that I could be yielded to higher authority it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we're going to walk in grace, we've got to walk in humility. Because grace is given to the humble. It's not given to the proud. It's not given to the arrogant. Now, there's something that happens when God builds faith in your life that might seem kind of cocky to some people. You know what I mean? Uh, but you can walk in, in great confidence in God with great humility at the same time. When you look at the life of Moses, Scripture says of all the men on the, on the face of the earth, the man Moses was the most meek. And, and so Moses had, had been brought to a place of great humility in 40 years of being on the backside of the desert thinking that he missed God. And he'd been brought to a place where he was no longer able to do it, and then God was able to do it through him. And, and so when you look at Moses and some of the ways that he operated, he, he, sometimes he could come across kind of cocky. But he operated with, with incredible humility and incredible power more than any other man in his generation. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You know, through the years of, you know, it's been 39 years this month that Amanda and I stood in front of the Amish bishop and got married, which happened to be her grandpa. And, uh, and it's 35 years this past January since Jesus came into our life. And, and we went through a long journey of God dealing with us and, and working things in us before he was able to bring us into a place where we began to live into what he created us for. And we've got to be willing to go through those times of learning that God is, first of all, creating in us before he creates through us. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and so there's a process that he takes us through uh, but if you're going to walk in humility, you've got to be willing to give up your need to control things. Control, 
control and humility don't work together. Control and authority are very different. And I don't know about you, but the culture I come from get those confused a lot. And, and, and kind of have the idea that people who control their family are ones who know how to use authority. No, they don't know anything about authority. Authority doesn't control. If you want to see a picture of authority, look at Jesus, who never controlled anything. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever say, you will. Does it? It says, do this, and if you do, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll come under a curse. That was under, all under the Old Covenant. Some of those principles still apply. Um, so control does not look like that. God created us different from every other species that he created with the power to choose right or wrong. And he never kept us from making wrong choices. We always have the freedom to do that. And so authority and control don't work the same way. God never gave man dominion over man. He gave us dominion over the earth. But he didn't give one man the right to dominate another person's will. People who become like children are ready to partner with the Holy Spirit. Like it says in Zechariah 4, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And it's interesting that he uses the term Lord of hosts there because God is the God who commands the armies of heaven. All the angelic hosts are at his command. And if, when we understand that we're partnered with him, and the things that we do for him and his kingdom aren't done by the force of our will or by the force of our own strength, but by the power of his spirit. People who walk in humility don't need recognition for what they do. And in the realm of grace, there's a kingdom purpose for us to discover and to uncover. Uh, each of us have things hardwired into our kingdom identity that light us up, that bring us alive, that wake up our passions, and wake up our compassion. When, when you read in Scripture and it says Jesus had compassion on that person, usually a miracle followed. And I would describe compassion this way. And it's not, it's not human emotion. It's something other. It's of the Spirit. It's a combination of mercy, love, anger, and a need for justice. Incredible mercy for the person that's in bondage or the suffering. Love that flows out of that mercy. And anger against the thing that bound that person and a determination that justice has to be released for that person to be set free. When you, when you start identifying those places, 
they will lead you to live, because that's kind of a key for you to begin to live an unlimited life. My, my prayer for all of you is that you would learn to live a life without limits in the kingdom. Grace is kind of like this. And this is the picture that always comes to me. Grace is kind of like a jet airplane. A jet airplane doesn't have propellers that can lift it straight off the ground. A jet airplane can only do one thing, and that's to move forward. And when it's moving forward at a high enough speed, the flaps enable it to leave the ground. And grace is kind of like that. As you begin to move forward into your purpose, and you begin to identify with the purpose that you were created for, and you begin to move into that purpose, grace will allow you to transcend the laws and the limitations that hold you to the ground and natural law. That jet plane, if it's moving forward fast enough, can leave the ground, can leave the limitations of gravity, can go into heavenly places and operate above, not above, operate beyond the laws of gravity that are there to take over once you stop moving forward. They'll take right back over. So, back when Zach was a little guy, he was into Elmo. I suppose he was two years old or something. Um, We went down to the video store one night because he wanted to get, get some new Elmo movies to take home and watch, you know. We had video stores back in those days that rented movies, you know. And uh, so while he was browsing through the Elmo section, seeing, I mean, he probably watched them all before, but figuring out which ones he wanted to take home and watch, uh, I was just kind of browsing around and uh, looking around, and this one movie fairly leaped off the shelf at me. And I'm like, I'd never heard of it before. It was in the foreign film section. And uh, I'm not recommending to any of you that you need to watch it. This was just my experience. God uses things to speak to me that he doesn't necessarily use to speak to you. And, uh, and this movie was called The Legend of 1900. And, and, and when I spotted it, I had this incredible desire to take that movie home and watch it. And so I'm like, well, Lord, I don't know why I need to watch this, but okay. So I took it home. And it's a story of, it's a legend of uh, uh, a cruise ship back in the year 1900. Uh, and, and, and somebody left a little baby on the ship, a little boy. And, and, and left the ship and left, the, and, and this one uh, worker on the ship found the, found the baby. And they, of course, they put the word out, who, who lost the baby? And nobody came back and claimed the baby. So he raised the little boy as his own. And, uh, and so, and he called him 1900 because it was in the year 1900 that he found him. So, so 1900 grew up on this ship, had never been on land, you know, and kind of became the, 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 the little pet of the crew, you know. 
And, uh, and before 1900 was very old, they learned that he, uh, they discovered that he had an incredible gift on the piano. This guy could create music that was out of this world. And so he, uh, at a very young age, became part of the ship's uh, orchestra. And, uh, and he played piano, and he and the trumpet player became best friends. And they had quite, uh, it, was, it was a whole adventure about this guy and his musical skills and people who would come to compete with him and how he would always excel and all of that. And, uh, and so um, war broke out and the ship was torpedoed and it almost sank. Uh, but they managed to, to bring it back to New York Harbor before it sank. And, and they decided that the ship was old enough and damaged enough that they weren't going to bother rebuilding it. They were going to sink it. And so they, everybody got left the boat. Everybody got their stuff off. And, and last of all, 1900 gathered his belongings together, and he walked down the steps to the dock. And, uh, and, and, before he, and, and then he stopped, and he looked around, and, uh, and he just paused there for a while, and then he turned around and went back up in the boat and put his things away and disappeared in the boat. And so his, his friends, uh, the trumpet player, heard about it, that he had gone back on the boat, and he was working, he was working at a shop. So he went and, and went back on the ship and went down into the, the belly of the ship and found 1900 down there in the bottom. And, and so he sat down next to him, and they reminisced about their old times and all the adventures they'd had and all that. Then he asked 1900, he said, so tell me, why did you come back? Why did you come back on the ship? Why didn't you leave and go on land? He said, well, he said, I, I grew up on this ship. I know exactly how long it is, how wide it is, how high it is. Uh, I've never been on land. And he said, when I looked at the shore, when I looked at the land, there were no limits. And he said, I don't know how to live a life without limits. And that's why I came back on the boat. I can't live a life without limits. And I, and, and I heard the Lord say, are you going to be the same way? And I said, absolutely not. And it represented a major shift in my life that God accomplished through a movie. Like I said, it, God will use things to speak to you where you're at. But when I look back, that was a pivotal moment in my life where I made a decision that I refused to ever settle for a life without limits. Lord, I want you to fulfill through my life everything that you ever dreamed that you could fulfill through me. And my challenge to you is, and, 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 and I think this is a great challenge for all of you that are starting fish today, starting school today, is allow the Lord to rewire you, to recalibrate you, to renew your mind, to bring every one of you, whether you're going through school or not, to bring every one of you to a place where you're willing to believe God for a life without limits, to live the life that he dreamed that you could live. That you could achieve everything that he had in his heart for you, that you go everywhere that he dreamed for you to go, that you do everything. And, and, and don't give up, because sometimes, you know, when we go after something, just like we're talking about healing, but it, it applies to just about every aspect of life. When you go after something, and you, and, and you do it, and you're disappointed, and you don't see what you dreamed about, and, and one thing the Lord is wanting to, 
find out, he already knows, but he's going to show you, is he's going to find out if you're a quitter or not. Because quitters don't make it in the kingdom. And so he'll take us through a process where he wants us to understand that we need to have the tenacity to go after something and never give up, never quit. A good man uh, falls seven times, gets back up every time. A wicked man. And, and so scripture defines wickedness and goodness a little differently than we do. But it's actually considered a, a wicked attribute in the kingdom for somebody to fall and stay down. Because we're not representing the one that we serve. He created us in his image and his likeness, and he never quit. He could have quit after Adam fell. He could have quit after he had to destroy the world in Noah's generation. There were so many times he could have quit and gave up on the whole thing, and he didn't. And him and Moses negotiated some of that. But he never quit. And he doesn't, he, that's part of of his nature that every one of us needs to exemplify is we will never quit. We're going to go after what he's put the dream for in our heart, and one way or another, we're going to break through into that thing, and we're going to see it fulfilled. Amen? And so today, I just want you to be challenged. Don't settle for a limited life. Don't do it. That's one of the most... Uh, that's one of the... That's one of the greatest punishments I could imagine for me is to know that I didn't live into the potential that God created me for. I'm not saying I have. All of us fall short in many ways, Scripture says. But what I'm saying is all of us have a potential to change the world that we live in. First thing we need to do is to learn who we are in our kingdom identity. And out of that, God wants to use us to change our world. Amen? Let's stand. Father, I'm grateful today for your amazing love, your faithfulness, your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, that when Jesus died on the cross... He saw in us what you saw when you created us. The dreams that you had for us. The potential that we could live into in our new nature. I ask, Lord, that there would be a determination, a tenacity in the heart of all of your people that we're not going to settle for less than what you created us for. that we would glorify and honor you by a life well lived. That we were never willing to settle, compromise, sit back, get comfortable. Let none of us be like that rich man who said, soul, you've done well. Kick back and enjoy life. Let none of us settle for that that they call the American dream. But that we would go after kingdom destiny and purpose and fulfill everything that you dreamed for us. 
And we thank you, Father, for doing that. Lord, let us be willing to pay every, any price to live into all that you dream for us in Jesus' name.